uh, in the summer Sunday nights. It's been much more topical, which is not something that I typically do, um, but I, I hope it's been helpful. It's been helpful to me, and uh, hopefully it's been helpful to you. Tonight we're going to talk about um, the title of the lesson is Worship While You Work. We're going to talk about the idea of work ethic from a biblical perspective, um, what that looks like, how that applies to our lives, and kind of the attitude we should have towards uh, the opportunities God has give us, given us. Um, that's something my parents used to say when we were kids. They have opportunities for us when it came to work. It wasn't, wasn't a task, it wasn't a chore, it was an opportunity, and uh, opportunity to grow. And so I hope it's helpful to you tonight. Like I said, we're going to bounce around quite a bit, and uh, we're going to start by giving you or asking the question, what is your theology of work? And uh, I'm going to help define that, walk through that a little bit, and then we're going to really look just at two main uh, headings or groupings of, under this idea of work, and uh, hopefully um, it'll be helpful to us, as I said. As we started the summer series, we did an introduction to the Proverbs. Uh, lesson two was all on the fear of the Lord, um, which really ties into this idea of work. Um, we did a, a lesson on relationships. We did a lesson on temptation, and tonight is really on work ethic. And uh, again, I, th I think there's a lot of stuff in here um, that would be helpful for us as believers to, to really understand how we work, how we are to work, and uh, the attitude we're to have towards the work that God has given us to do. And I think sometimes we think of work uh, simply as the, the task that is before us from our employer, right? Like a, a job that we hold, a position that we hold. But truly, the, these things that we're going to look at tonight can deal with every area of work in our lives, whether it's work around our home, work with our kids, work with our grandkids. Um, all, of those, all of those areas can kind of be boiled down into this whole topic of work ethic, and uh, my prayer is that we would worship while we work. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into this this evening and uh, see what we can learn from the Word of God. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time that we can gather in your house. We thank you for your Word that we can look to, and God, we thank you for the book of Proverbs and the help that it's been to us. Um, through the summer months as we have looked at several different topics. And God, I, I do believe they're topics that are, are pertinent to our lives um, even this day. God, as we think about um, even the idea of work ethic and um, understanding who it is that we're ultimately working for, God, you have, you have given us these opportunities, and I pray that we would steward them well, that we'd steward them for um, your glory, that those around us could see that while we do work for our boss, we ultimately work for the King of Kings. And I pray that our attitudes would reflect just that. So help us tonight, God, to, to uh, have understanding when it comes to these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the question I want to start with again is, what is your theology of work? Uh, maybe you've never thought about that question before, but whether we know it or not, uh, we all have one. We all have a framework of understanding work through, through the, uh, the, either a biblical lens or a, a secular lens, a worldly lens. Uh, this idea of a theology of work, as I tried to define it in my own terms, I came up with this. It is believing that God is the one who ordained work, who ordained the idea of work before the fall, that he uses work to sanctify us, and that in our work we express again the, the reality that we are made in the image of God. And so God has, is the one who has called us to work. He has given us the ability. He's set tasks before us. He's given us opportunities. God is the one who, who sanctifies us through work. Have you ever been sanctified through the work process? Maybe it was difficult situations or places you didn't want to be. And then the, the final part of that was that as we work, we're expressing again this reality that we're made in the image of God. And I want to break that down 
Um, first off, this the idea of a theology of work is believing that God is the one who ordained the idea of work before the fall. If we were to look back at Genesis 2.15, what would we find? That work was not a curse that God placed upon man, but God called men to work, men and women to work, to keep the garden before the curse of sin ever came into the world. Now, what, what was a part of the curse when it came to work? The, the weeds and the toiling and the, 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 the wearisome labor um, that comes along with work. But work itself was not a curse. Um, this, this idea of work was something good that God gave humanity in part to keep them busy, right? In part to, to give them something that would, would help them understand their purpose in life as they worked doing the things that God had called them to do. Now, Adam and Eve's problem was that they stepped outside of what God told them to do. They didn't follow the path that God had them on, and we know the curse of sin came as a result of that. So the first part is, it's believing that God is the one who ordained the idea of work before the fall. Again, my parents would remind us of this as kids, that work is a good thing. Work is a healthy thing. Work is a helpful thing, and it's a God-ordained thing. The second part of this is that, that he, God, uses work to sanctify us. Um, where my mind went to, to this afternoon was the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into what? Slavery. And what did he do when he was sold into slavery? He worked. He worked for people he didn't want to work for. He found himself in places that he didn't want to be. But when Joseph was reunited with his brothers, what does Joseph say in Genesis 50, 20? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph went through a growth process that was, was miraculous, really, as he allowed God to work in him and through him. And Joseph found himself in, in really low moments. Though he was the, the keeper of the prison, so to speak, he was still in prison, right? That wasn't a, a glorious place to be, but he allowed God to shape him and, and change him in that moment so that when he was removed from prison, he could stand before kings. And he served in that position uh, with great dignity, um, and he understands that God is the one who put him there. So it's believing that it is God who ordained the idea of work before the fall. It's not a curse of sin. It's believing that God uses work to sanctify us, and we could all share stories of how that's been true in our life. And then it's believing that in our work, we express again the reality that we are made in the image of God. In Exodus 20.11, it's the, the reiteration or the giving of the Ten Commandments, and God says, six days shall you work, and on the seventh day, you shall what? And who gave us that pattern to begin with? God did in creation. So our God is a working God. We often say that God works, that God moves, that God does these things. And we can see his, his glorious and magnificent work in creation, but even in our lives still. And so as we work, and as we work with the right attitude, we will put on display this reality that, that we are made in the image of God. And as God did everything well, what does that mean for us as we work? That we should strive for excellence. I've shared this before, but before I left for Bible college, I went and saw my grandfather who was mowing his field. Um, that's pretty much all my grandfather did since he's been retired is mow. He's got the, the shortest lawn in the town they live in. The rocks are all trimmed around. He has, he has on the calendar every date that he finished raking his lawn for probably the last 50 years. He, he loves taking care of his lawn. He does it with excellence. He does it with, he has pride in his work. And he, he was talking about um, the idea of going into the ministry and church, um, church cultures. And he said, one thing that I've, I feel is beginning to become missing in the church is the idea of excellence. 
that we settle instead of doing things to our best. And I would agree with that. And I don't think it's just church culture, but I think it's Christian culture, right? Like we, we have just kind of given ourselves to the idea that eh, it's all going to work out in the end anyways, but that's not the attitude God wants us to have in the things that he's called us to do. And so when we work, um, we, we are putting on display again this idea that we are made in the image of God and we're showing to the world um, that, that we believe work has initially come from God. And so as we think about this idea of our theology of work, uh, again, I'll, I'll read it for you. It's, it's living with this idea that God is the one who ordained the idea of work before the fall, that he uses work to sanctify us, and that, our work, that in our work we express again the reality that we are made in the image of God. Uh, if, we, if we think through that, we could clearly come to this conclusion then that our identity is not to be in our work, but our identity is to be found in the one who has given us the work to do. If, if we make our identity about the work that we do, what becomes of us? We become a mess, right? We become, become so consumed with the tasks that God has given us that we begin to lose focus of the one who actually gave us the opportunities to begin with. Now, are there times in life where, where you have seasons of work that are crazier than others? I think everybody in every profession can understand that. But there's supposed to be seasons, right? There's supposed to be times in life where, where um, th- those don't necessarily define who we are. It's just we have to give a little more in those moments. But when we approach work with the right attitude and we understand that work is in reality a gift and a blessing from God, then we find our identity again in the one who gave it to us to begin with. Um, I've had conversations with many of you as you have gone through busy seasons of work. And uh, I have been thankful for your response and your attitudes as you've gone through them that you're just thankful for God's blessing in these seasons, right? You know, you know it's a season, and sometimes seasons seem to last for a long time, um, but you know it's a season, and you know you're going to come out of it on the other side, but you're not finding your identity in those things. It seems the more and more that time goes on, uh, that work is despised and undervalued, and it's seen as frustrating or a task to complete, or on the other hand, work is idolized, it's overprioritized. And it has become a God in and of itself. And it seems like there's no healthy balance between the two. Either I hate my job or my job is everything to me. Either I I despise the work that I have to do day in and day out or my work has become my only prized possession in this life. And can we agree that the Bible would probably say that the balance of that is supposed to be somewhere in the middle? That we're thankful for the job that we have received from God. We're thankful for the ability that we have to work but we're not making it a God, and, and at the same time, we're not despising it, hating it, and, and detesting the work that God has allowed us to do. Um, the Bible has a great deal to say about work, and as I said, we're going to look at a bunch of different passages tonight. And uh, truthfully, as believers, um, as I've given this lesson the title of Worship While You Work, I pray that that would be our heart's desire, that as we do the tasks that God has called us to do, that we would worship while we work. Now, what does that look like? Does that mean that as you're in your office or you're uh, driving nails or, or you're counting money or selling cars or doing whatever you do that you're singing worship songs to the top of your lungs? Uh, probably not, right? Now, are there some places where you can do that? Sure. Uh, I know working with my dad and brothers, um, especially when there's no other trades around, they sing at the top of their lungs and we worship God together and we can do that, but you can't do that in every setting and in every scenario. But I think what I mean by this idea of worshiping while you work is that it has to do with our heart attitude towards the thing that God has allowed us to do. 
And I think as we think about work, we have to understand again that it is a privilege that God has given us. There are many people in the world who cannot work, and they would love to work. And yet we who can work um, should count it as a privilege and an opportunity to steward it for our good and for God's glory. And so you don't have to go to work tomorrow singing at the top of your lungs. Um, but what I, I would ask is as you go to work tomorrow, consider your attitude towards the work that you're doing and consider your attitude towards the one who has given you the opportunity to work. Um, some statistics for us. The average person will spend 80,000 80, hours at work in their life. Some of you feel like you've hit that this year already. Um, this is from an article published in the Business Insider a few years ago. They went on to give some other interesting facts about work. 80% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs. Would you believe that? There's a lot of people in the world who just work is just something they have to do, not something they love. Uh, on average, Americans work eight different jobs before they're 30. Um, that seems like quite the revolving door, but I know some of those people that are under 30. Uh, I'm not there anymore, so we can talk about them. I, I know what they're like. 25% um, of employees say work is their main source of stress, and 40% say their job is very or extremely stressful. Uh, more than 13 million working days are lost every year because of stress-related illnesses from the workplace, people that get burnt out or, or have too much on their plate. Uh, the average American spends 100 hours commuting each year. If you live in Vermont, that's a whole lot more than that. 64% um, of Americans canceled vacations last year because of work. Uh, in the United States, workers take an average of 57% of their vacation days. So most are giving up, or, or almost half are giving up, almost half of their vacation time. 25% uh, of people check into work hourly while on vacation through email or phone. 59% said they work during holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving. And so what we understand from these statistics is that work, if it's handled in an inappropriate way, can wreak havoc on our lives as human beings. Um, and I think we could all attest to that, couldn't we? We have all had seasons of life where the, 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 the weight of our jobs hangs over our head, and even things that we once loved to do, we don't necessarily love to do anymore. And unfortunately, um, many people live in that rut for, for a long period of time. And so as we go through this tonight, you know, we're not looking at it from a psychological standpoint or a secular standpoint. I really want to look at this idea of worshiping while we work through a biblical standpoint. And again, I want us to walk away asking these questions, who am I ultimately working for and what is my, what is my attitude towards the opportunity that God has given me? There's a couple ditches that we can fall in on either side of a healthy view of work. The first one would be a workaholic. Uh, a workaholic. Somebody define that for me. It's all they think about. Somebody else. Rebecca. Yeah. It, it consumes every part of their lives. Even if something of higher value or of higher priority comes along, they can't push aside the work. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes workaholicism is born of necessity, right? You, you do it because you have to to get through a season, but just like any addiction, where do some people stay? They stay in that lane of being addicted to the work that they get to do, the work that they, the work field that they have chosen. Uh, a workaholic would, would downplay the idea of making time for the things of God, or even things of family, or even personal health. 
because their, their job might be at risk. They, they have deadlines they have to meet. They have quotas they have to fill. And so this idea of, of being a workaholic is a dangerous concept. And, and one would say, well, I'd rather be a workaholic than a lazy person who doesn't work. But let's understand, both are dangerous. Both, both pose problems in the life of a believer specifically that can be detrimental to our walk with the Lord and to our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the first ditch that we could fall into is the, is the idea of being a workaholic, that we, we, we spend all of our time, all of our energy, and all of our efforts on these things. Uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, "...labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom." Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. What's Solomon telling us in that? Don't, don't spend your time being consumed with, with riches and wealth because all of those things can, can vanish in a moment's notice. And so he's telling us to approach this idea of work uh, with wisdom from on high. The other side of that ditch would be a lazy worker. Now, Nobody wanted to define the workaholic because you may have been defining yourself. But who wants to define the lazy worker? Sure, willing to let everybody else do the, the task that needs to be done. Justin? Doing the bare minimum to stay employed. Absolutely. Um, somebody else? Seth? <laughs> the pirates who don't do anything. Excellent example of the lazy worker. If you haven't seen that, you can go home and look it up, and you will be blessed. Um, anybody else? The, the lazy worker, again, is he doesn't work. He doesn't use the ability that God has given him. He doesn't have a plan. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. The ESV says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends to poverty. Have you ever met somebody who had great ideas and they knew how everybody else needed to do their job, but they didn't want to do the job themselves? That's the lazy man. They're designators, yeah. They, they, they can tell everyone else what to do, um, but they don't want to do the work themselves. And, and both of these are are ditches that we don't want to fall into. We, we don't want to be labeled as a workaholic, but we also don't want to be labeled as a lazy worker, um, for that certainly wouldn't do any good to the kingdom of God. And so the, both of these perspectives, both the workaholic and a lazy worker, show that our attitude towards work is out of balance. And the workaholic is always saying to the lazy worker, if they would just step up their game, and the lazy worker is looking at the workaholic saying, you don't enjoy anything about life. And the balance is somewhere in between. Somebody who enjoys the vocation that God has called them to, and they do it with a balance that says, I'm going to do it for God's glory, and I'm going to do it and not allow myself to be consumed with it. That this is, this is just something that God has allowed me to do. It's not who I am. And if you've ever been in a position where you, you've struggled with the workaholic side of things, that's hard at times. It's hard to take a break. Um, we're going away for a few days this week, and I was already thinking of the things that I could accomplish on the drive to get to where we're going, and I said to myself, no, I'm going to leave my computer at home, and the phone calls that I need to make can wait till Thursday when I get back. But you know, that's hard for me to do, and I know for some of you in the room, it's hard for you to do as well. 
Because those things, they're of value to you. The things that I'm doing on my phone, they're of value to me. But you know what? I also need to understand that my family is also of great value. And that taking a few days off with my family is actually okay. And so if this isn't for anybody else, guess who this is for? It's for me. And I need it. And I think there's some of us in here that need it, on, maybe on both sides of the coin. And I, I do pray that it would be a help to us as we go through these things together. Um, Colossians 3 22 and 24 kind of gives us a good attitude or a good view or understanding of what our attitude should be towards work. He says, servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. So Paul is talking to those who are working for somebody else, and he's basically saying, hey, you need to do a good job at the work that you have been given to do. Don't just be, be one who does good work while the boss is around. Be one who the boss can leave a task with and know that it's going to be completed. You're not just an eye, an eye service, men pleaser type of servant. But he goes on to say, in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so this goes back to the two questions I want us to answer. Who am I ultimately working for? And what is my attitude towards the opportunity that God has given me? Paul is arguing that as, as servants, as those who work for somebody else, Ultimately, we are working for the Lord. Whether you work at a bank or a library or a car dealership or in healthcare, whatever it is, whether you're a stay-at-home mom working with your children, you ultimately work for the Lord. Not, you're not supposed to do your work as, as men-pleasers to, to please their eyes, but you're to do it with the fear of the Lord, knowing that ultimately, Paul goes on to say, that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. And so in our work, ultimately we're serving the King of Kings. And the tasks that God has given us to fulfill on a day-to-day basis, we're ultimately serving the King of Kings. And that needs to be the mindset that we do these jobs with. And so I want to look at two examples that Proverbs gives us. And, uh, and I hope that they'll be a help to us as we think about the slothful and the wise. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about the slothful, doesn't it? The sluggard, when this isn't a good thing, and I probably shouldn't share this, but we were helping some people move uh, when I was teena- a teenager, and uh, it was actually Brianna's aunt, and they were moving from Cabot to Montpelier, and they had their moving truck there, and they had this carpet rolled up, and nothing was going on, so I laid down on the carpet, and I automatically got the nickname of sluggard. Now, I hope that I have moved out of that nickname. Hopefully, you can see that in me, but being slothful or being a sluggard it's not a compliment, right? If you think of somebody that is slothful, what comes to your mind? Lazy. Something else. All I heard was lazy. Everyone said lazy. A sloth. Hanging around, right? Not, not doing anything. They don't care about what's before them. They want everybody else to do everything for them. And so we're going to look at several passages tonight, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on each one. Where, where Solomon and the others who wrote the Proverbs reveal to us this idea of the slothful and the error of their way. First off, turn to Proverbs 26, 13. Proverbs 26, 13. It says this, The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. Now, if there was a lion in the street... 
that would be a really good thing to go outside and yell, right? Hey, I'm warning my neighbors, I'm warning my family, my friends, stay inside because there's a lion in the streets. But as this is given in somewhat, somewhat of a comedic way, uh, the reality is there was no lion in the streets. And so what's the slothful man saying? I'm not going outside because there's a lion in the street. Or there could be a lion in the street. And the, the, the first thing that the slothful man does is he makes excuses. Well, it might rain today, so we can't, can't plant the corn, right? Fields will get all muddy. Oh, it might rain today. We can't harvest the corn because the corn's going to get all wet, and then it'll go moldy, and it just won't be good. The slothful man always makes excuses. When they have a deadline to meet, and they don't meet the deadline, and they had plenty of time to meet the deadline, oftentimes they'll blame shift, right? Oh, I, I would have done it, but... I could have done it, but while I didn't have everything I needed, uh, they, they just constantly make excuses, and that's exactly what Solomon is saying here, that the slothful man, the lazy man, the sluggard, the, the one who, who doesn't have any motivation to work always makes excuses as to why he can't go out and do the things that he needs to do. Um, so he makes excuses. The next verse, we see that the slothful man, he loves to sleep. In verse 14, it says, as the door turneth upon hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. Uh, again, this is given in, in somewhat of a comedic form, but Solomon is making a point here that the man who is lazy, the slothful man, is like one of those double doors back there. You can push it, and all it does is go back and forth and back and forth. It turns on its hidden hinges un- until it stops. And we have all probably had those days where we just want to lay in bed. Anybody been there? And sometimes, you know what? It's, it's okay to lay in bed. It's okay to take care of yourself, but that should not be the whole of your life, that you miss morning appointments because you're too lazy to get up, or you're always running late because you can't ever get going in the morning. Solomon would say, that's the slothful man. He's always making excuses. He turns on his bed, never getting up and and doing the things that he knows he needs to do. Uh, Proverbs 10.5 in this uh, area of loving sleep says, he that gathereth in the summer is a wise son. But he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causeth shame. Now, to us, we can gather at the grocery store anytime we want. But they were living in a, in a farming time where if you didn't harvest in harvest time, then your crops were going to go bad. And somebody had to give an answer as to why that didn't get done. And Solomon said that that would bring shame to a father. And so they make excuses. Uh, they love sleep. If you look at verse number 15, they're repetitively unproductive. In verse 15, he says, The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. Again, this is, is given in a, uh, in a in way of comedy because it's such an exaggeration. But as, as he's speaking here, he's speaking of the, the repetitive, unproductive nature of a slothful person. Their hand is is in their bosom, and they can't even bring it up to feed themselves. They're so lazy. They never accomplish any task, even the simplest of tasks, even the smallest of things, uh, they, they never get done. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 9. We're going to go through these rather quickly, uh, and then we'll have time for some discussion. But Proverbs 18 and verse 9 says, He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. And so he, he's a harm to himself. If you're slothful in your work and you're a great waster, what does that mean? That when the time comes for need, you're not going to have it. And so it's not just you you're harming, but it's your family that you're harming. You're a harm 
to those around you, you're a harm to yourself. In Proverbs 20 and verse number 4, uh, we see that he doesn't prepare for the future. He says, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. He gives no foresight to the needs that are going to come down the road, uh, but he, he only thinks of his desires and his will and his, his wants in the moment. And then in Proverbs chapter 24, um, in verses 30 through 34, we see that he lets good opportunities go to waste. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, had covered the, fe- uh, the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well, I looked upon it and received instruction, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. So the slothful man lets good opportunities go to waste. The slothful man, Solomon is saying he owned a field, he had a vineyard, but he let all those things go, and the thorns and the thistles, they overgrew so that the ground was good for nothing. And so the first illustration that we're given, or the first uh, understanding of work that we're given in Proverbs that we're looking at tonight is the slothful man. As we think about the slothful, first off, what thoughts come to your mind? Why, why is Solomon making such a big deal about the idea of a slothful man? Who is he writing to? All of Israel. And specifically, he started the book by talking to the young men of Israel. He wanted these young men to take um, this, this idea of work as a, as a privilege and a right that they got to participate in, not something that they could push off on everybody else. It, it's, you know, truthfully, in these days, if you did not work, then you had nothing. In our day and age, it's very different. There are, there are programs that have stepped in and filled in the gaps that um, people need. And, and for people that need those programs, I'm thankful for those programs. But we have to understand that those programs are not ever meant to be a way of life. They're not a career. They're an opportunity to get back on your feet to do the things again that God has enabled you to do if you're able to do them. So he's writing to the young men of Israel. Um, as you think about the slothful, what comes to your mind? He's a quitter. Um, and, and a lot of the scenarios we had, um, it seems like the slothful man had great opportunity before him and quit before he even got started. Um, he, he was given opportunity, given chances to make good um, choices for his family, for himself, for those around him, and yet he chose not to do it. Somebody else? It is very selfish. Yeah, it's, it's thinking of yourself in the moment. And it, the one that got me was the as the door turns upon its hinges, right? If, if that's us, shame on us. If God has given us the ability to work and we choose not to work, or if we don't do our work well, or we're, we're neglectful in doing the things that God has called us to do, then shame on us if it's, if it's because of pure laziness. Somebody else? Yes, Annie. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And oftentimes, as we said earlier, it's often the slothful man or the lazy worker who points out what everybody else is doing wrong, right? It's, but they can't see in their own lives uh, what they might be doing wrong. Anybody else? Dave. Yeah. Lack of motivation and goals and direction, for sure. I, um, one of the things that I have been working on in my life is setting goals for myself. 
because there's value in setting goals, isn't there? Even if you don't reach the goals, isn't there still value in setting goals that I want to accomplish this or do this thing? Not that the goals are a God, that if I don't make them, my, my life is crushed and, and I have no value at all anymore. But we should be shooting for something in life. We should be pushing for something in life. And so that's another great definition. Pat, you had motivation. Anybody else? Yes, Matt. Short-sighted, definitely. Only thinking of the, the moment, um, the pleasure uh, that can that can come to them in the here and now. Anybody else? Karen? Hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen God bless because you took an uncomfortable step of faith? I think we all probably have. And that's a good thing. That, but that's something that the slothful man wouldn't do because uh, the fear of the unknown would be too great. Bruce, you had your hand up. Yeah. <laughs> something like that I'm sure they have something flavored back <laughs> and when I think of that on the hinges there comes you rest you need your rest yeah. but there comes that point where you can't rest anymore yeah. you turn and you toss and you turn and toss this guy won't even get up and <laughs> you know he yeah. just lays there even when he can't rest yeah absolutely I used to listen to a, a preacher and one of his when he preached to teenagers one of the things he would often say was nothing makes you more tired than nothing does and isn't that true? Like, if, if I have a day off, at the end of the day, I am exhausted. Like, and I, I try to think back to what I did. It's like, I didn't even accomplish anything, and I'm exhausted. That's kind of embarrassing. But nothing makes you more tired than nothing does. Just sitting around. Um, you're, you, and that, sitting around doing nothing, oftentimes also leads to a state of depression. Because you have nothing to push toward. You have nothing to work at. You have nothing that, that satisfies your hands. And I... I know and I believe and would preach that we're to be 100% satisfied in Christ, as I said this morning. But isn't there also satisfaction that can be found in doing a good day's work? And when you step back from a project and you look, and that satisfaction comes in part by saying, look what God has allowed me to do. Look what God has enabled me to do. Somebody else, as you think about the slothful man. Yes, Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes just getting out in the sun does a good deal for a person, doesn't it? Getting up and being active. Leah.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, any other thoughts on the slothful? Bruce? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we've got plenty of work, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Dave Boswell. That's a good thought. Anybody else on the slothful? Yes, Annie. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. And then when people try to reach into your lives and encourage you, you begin to look at them as the enemy, right? They're, they're, they're the ones who, are, who have it out for you instead of those who are trying to help you. So there, there are many more verses that we could have looked at um, concerning the slothful uh, in the book of Proverbs and in other places in the Word of God, uh, but I think this list kind of gives us a, a broad idea of what Solomon is getting at, that they make excuses, they love to sleep, they're repetitively unproductive, uh, they're a harm to themselves and those around them, they don't prepare for the future, and they let good opportunities go to waste. And I would ask us in our lives, where could we possibly see, and I don't, you don't need to answer this. Um, but this is to think internally. Where do you possibly see the slothful worker in you? And all of that list that we have given, can you identify an area of your life that maybe you're prone to slothfulness? I, I think if we're honest, we all probably have something. Something that we're not, because I know we all want to look at ourselves as the wise worker, right? Everybody else is the slothful. But what's the slothful guy saying? Everybody else is the problem, right? And so we don't, we don't ever want to go down that road. But I would ask us to take a, a look at our own hearts and own lives and see where in our lives we may have become slothful. And in that slothfulness, let us understand that we're not being the image bearer that we're meant to be as we show the world around us that we work as our God worked, that we do things with excellence, we do things in a way that brings glory to his name. So think through that in your own time. The second um, example that, that the Proverbs gives us is the wise worker and uh, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 6, probably a familiar passage to many here, but this is actually the first passage I believe I ever preached out of the Proverbs, um, and it's, it's verses 6 through 8, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. It says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer 
and gathereth her food in the harvest. Maybe I, I was fascinated with this passage because it had the word sluggard in it, and that was my name. I guess I probably started looking it up. I landed on that passage and said, oh, that's a good passage to preach. Maybe I'll preach it to myself. But as Solomon gives us this illustration of the ant, he's really showing um, the understanding that the ant has in being a wise worker. Um, the first thing that, that we see in verse 6 is that the ant serves as an example for others. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. The, the, the Solomon's not saying, go to the sluggard, thou ant, but he sees something in the ant that is worth, worth viewing, worth understanding, worth processing in our minds, and we're going to go through the details of what that is, uh, but the, the first thing is this ant serves as an example to others, and I think if we're wise stewards of the opportunities that God has given us, we will serve as examples to others as well. There's a, a false conception around being a wise worker that would say that if you work hard, then you're going to rise to the top of every place that you ever work. Well, that's not true. There are, there are many faithful, hardworking people who don't get chosen for a promotion. Maybe it's, it's for religious reasons. Maybe they see that the person is a Christian and they say, I'm not going to promote you. Maybe it's because they chose to be a wise worker later in life and they didn't have the, the training to be promoted up the ranks uh, through their career. But either way, Solomon's pointing out to us that the ant is serving as an example. Now, how many of us have ever looked at an ant outside the narrative of the, of the proverb and said, man, I'm going to study the ants? No, there's, a, I think, a Pixar movie made about ants, and that's probably the deepest amount of study that I've ever done on them. But what's Solomon saying? He says, go look at the ant. Now, what is the ant? One of the smallest creatures that lives. One of the smallest creatures that we can view with our eyes and the wisest man in the world is saying to the sluggard, the slothful man, the lazy man, hey, go, t- go take a look at the ant and see how, sh- how she lives. And this poses a question for us. In our working, is anybody saying about us, go look at so-and-so? Go look how they do things. Go watch how, how they work day in and day out. Go take notice of the, the work ethic that they have, that the effort that they put in. I hope that when my kids are grown, that somebody will look at my kids and say, hey, take notice of so-and-so. My kids don't like to work with me, or, or Brianna for that matter, because we kind of have a certain way we want things done. And why is that? Because we want them to know how to do it right. Um, who remembers as a kid, I shouldn't say they don't like working with us. I think it's they, they don't like working at all. But who, who here as a kid ever remembers working with your parents and having to redo something that you've already done? Wasn't that frustrating? But in the end, as you're an adult, aren't you thankful that you learned how to do it the right way? I can remember stacking wood as a kid, and my dad had a specific way that he wanted us to stack wood, and according to me now, it's the right way to stack wood, right? Because that's the way my dad taught me. And uh, as I teach my boys to stack wood now, we stack wood in a certain way. Why? Because I don't want the wood to fall over. If, if mom is down there pulling a piece of wood off the, the log pile to throw in the stove, I don't want a cord of wood falling over on top of her, so we stack it in a certain way. And as Solomon is thinking about the, the wise worker, and as he's trying to train the slothful or the sluggard, he says, go look at the ant because they serve as an example. In verse 7, we see that they're motivated, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler... 
Who, who tells the ant what to do? According to Solomon, nobody. We know there's, there's probably a hierarchy of ants, at least in the movie there is. There's a queen ant and all this stuff. But it, in, in the ant world as we know it, ants just know what they're supposed to do and what do they do? They do it. They go gather the food and they bring it in. There's nobody on top of them all day long telling them what to do. They're, they're motivated for the good of the colony, honestly. And as, as adults, as parents, um, as people who are in a workforce, we should strive to work for the good of the colony. First off, for the glory of God, for the good of our family. But if you're on a team at work, don't you want your team to be recognized for their excellence? that you're going above and beyond, that you're, you're producing more than so-and-so, not in an arrogant way, but so that you can say, look what God has allowed us to do to give him the glory. So they serve in his example. They're motivated. Um, they, they look for the opportunity. This kind of goes along with verse number seven as well. Um, again, they have no guide. There's no overseer pointing them or ruler, but they see things that need to be done and they do it. Who's ever seen an ant find your food as you're on a picnic, and start carrying pieces away. They're motivated. They, they know that they need that food to survive through the winter months. And so they, they look for those opportunities. And then they work for the future in verse number 8, which having, I'm sorry, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. And so an ant's life is really all summer long, all harvest season long. They're working to, to get enough food so that the colony can survive through the times when there is no food. Um, if for an ant in Vermont, let's just be honest, there's times where there's no food for an ant outside in the middle of winter. We got a foot of snow on the ground. But the ant looks for those opportunities and they work for the future. And I think there's a great parallel that can be drawn here in a physical sense, that as good stewards, we as believers should work for the future to, to make sure that our our latter days in life are taken care of, that we're provided for. There's nothing wrong with saving for retirement. But in the spiritual end, as we draw the second side of that parallel, don't we also work for the future from a Christian perspective as well? That we do now for the then? Not, not for what we get, but for what we get to give back, right? It's, it's not us paying him back because we could never do that, but it's, it's working for the future, for the day when we will see our Savior face to face. Um, if you turn to Proverbs 23, uh, verses 4 and 5, still looking at the wise worker, it says this, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not, for riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle toward the heaven. And so the wise worker serves as an example, they're motivated, they look for opportunity, they work for the future, but then Solomon says the wise worker doesn't overwork or become addicted to work. They don't only work for what they can get in this life. They don't set their eyes on things that are going to fly away as the eagles, but they, they have a right perspective around work. If you spend, um, well, what's the old saying? All work, no play, made Jack a dull boy, right? Never got to enjoy life. And I think there's some truth to that, that in, in the younger years, an individual can work so much that they give up the blessings that God has given them in the moment by way of a marriage and kids. How many families have been destroyed because one or both parents have become workaholics? How many children want nothing to do with their parents later in life because their parents paid them no attention in their younger years? 
And so Solomon's giving us a sharp reminder to understand that, yes, we need to prepare for the future, but preparing for the future can't be the only thing that we do. We have to enjoy the blessings that God has given us in the here and now. Um, and, and I think there's value in understanding that. And then in Proverbs 22, in verse number 29, it says this, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Um, they have honor. Um, they serve as an example. They're motivated. They look for opportunity. They work for the future. They don't overwork or become addicted to work, but they have honor. When other people look at them, it kind of goes back to the serving as an example. They're the, often the ones that those in the workforce take notice of. And to stand before a king doesn't mean that you are a king. It means that you're given an opportunity that others haven't been given. Um, as we think of, of, of the cupbearer in the Old Testament times, they weren't royalty. They were just somebody that was trusted. They were somebody that, that they could be given a task and the task would be accomplished. And so that they're going to stand before that royalty. And the final thing um, is that they commit their work to the Lord. In Proverbs 16 and verse 3, it says this, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Um, this idea of committing everything that we do, this idea of works, would, would not just be the, the tasks, that, tasks that we're given by our employer, but really it's everything that we do. And remember, we're talking about work in the whole of life. They commit their works to the Lord, and, and God establishes them. God blesses them. Do you think God blesses somebody who commits their way to the Lord? Absolutely, 100%. And so whether it's, again, working at home with our children, if you're a stay-at-home mom, or as a dad who's involved in the lives of their kids, or you're working for your employer, or you're doing the, the work of the Lord in a church setting. We commit these things to Him, and we let God bring the increase into our lives. We trust God with the results. Um, work has worth when it's given to the Lord, regardless of how menial the task is. Work has worth when it's given to the Lord, regardless of how menial the task is. So what do I mean by that? The smallest things given to the Lord can produce great results. Who was it that gave Jesus his lunch? A little boy. And it wasn't five loaves of Costco-sized bread, right? When we understand bread in the New Testament, it's probably more like the size of a saltine. So five crackers and a few sardines, and Jesus fed the multitudes. And when we commit our work to the Lord, regardless of how big or small it is, and we trust God with the outcome, then you know what we're going to be with the outcome? We're going to be satisfied, because God is the one who produces the ultimate fruit. Thoughts on the wise man? We have a few minutes left. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Having integrity. Um, because though no one physically may be watching, uh, we know that God is always watching, right? And so we're working for him. Somebody else? Bruce? Finding that balance that you and I have always talked about. Yeah. Oscar talked about, you know, just between providing for your family for the future when you get to retirement age, like kind of what those folks are, and, and the balance of giving to help others. Hmm. Yeah. 
absolutely. I like that in Ephesians. He basically the same thing that we read in Colossians about not being isolated. But in verse 8 of chapter 6, it says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be received of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So even as a slave, if you're a good slave, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that goes to show, you know, the New Testament. Um, well, certainly the Bible doesn't condone abusive slavery. There was obviously slavery that was taking place in the Bible times. And what was the the commandment of Paul so often? Be good servants, right? In the place that you're in, be a good servant. And you may be there for a season, and when you have time to break free, that's the time to break free. Don't, don't leave unlawfully because then you're not being a good servant. Um, but serve the Lord in the place that you are, um, regardless of whether you necessarily like that place or not. And I think that fits in every scenario of life, that wherever we find ourselves in life, we have to remember we're there by, by God's appointment. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're facing, and so we serve Him in those moments. Um, instead of grumbling and complaining about our lot in life. Somebody else? One last passage. Second Thessalonians. I know we're jumping out of actually two last passages. But Second Thessalonians verses, or chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Paul says, For even when we were with you, this, uh, we commanded you that if any w- would not work, neither should he eat. And so Paul gives a pretty strict commandment there. It goes on to say, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And I, I just think it's funny that Paul points out that oftentimes those who do nothing, they spend their time talking about everybody else who is, right? Paul is, is condemning this lifestyle. He's condemning this way of living. He says, now, uh, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that they may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Those are harsh words from Paul. He's saying you, you can't count him out. He said maybe don't, don't hang out with him all the time, because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, as we saw this morning. But what should you do? Come alongside and admonish him as a brother. Be that, that thorn in his side that says, hey, you know you're not supposed to be doing that. Be the one that commands him or commends him to do better things. Um, that was Paul's, Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians. And then the last passage, a closing word from Solomon, not in Proverbs, but in, in Ecclesiastes. He says this in chapter 9 and verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work nor device nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. What is Solomon saying? You've got one shot. Make the most of it. Make the most of the opportunities that God has given you. Steward them well. For your good, good hard work pays off, but also for God's glory, that when those around you look at you, they see that your theology of work would say that you believe that God is the one who ordained the idea of work before the fall of man that God uses work to sanctify us, and that in our work we express again the reality that we are made in the image of God. And that's why Jesus says 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening that we can look to your word. And I do pray uh, that you would help us to have understanding in these things that our desire would be to work in a way that would ultimately bring you glory. God, certainly we thank you for the opportunity to work. And God, I know for some in the room, um, work is quite taxing right now. And, and it seems like it's more of a burden than it is a blessing. But God, I, I do pray that as they go through this season that you'd help them to focus on what you're doing in them and through them during these times, um, that, that we w- would collectively say, God, wherever you have us, uh, that's where we're going to serve you. And, and though it may mean more stress at times and more strain, God, as we look to you, you'll bring us satisfaction in our hearts and in our lives. God, for the ones in the room tonight who, who may be on the verge of being a workaholic, God, we pray that, that your spirit would speak to them, um, speak to us, before we head down a path that's not good for our health, that's not good for our family, that's not good for our spiritual life. God, help us to take an honest assessment of our own work ethic before you and make sure things are in balance. And God, for those of us who have examined our lives and we see an area where maybe we could pinpoint that we have become to be, or begun to be slothful, help us to correct that through the power of your Spirit. God, that the work that we do would be done with excellence and that it would be done to bring glory to your name. We thank you again, God, for giving us the opportunities to work, and I do pray that we'd use them again to show the world around us uh, the truth of who our God is. We thank you uh, for this evening. Keep us safe as we travel home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.